Hey everyone, and welcome back to the Harvest Bible Podcast. I'm Micah Hess, and this is a show where we look for meaning, purpose, and scriptural clarity in our faith. So last time we opened up the book of Acts and began overviewing Jesus' final words to the apostles in Acts 1, 4 through 8, how he instructed them to wait for the Holy Spirit and then go forth from Jerusalem to be his witnesses, even unto the ends of the earth. We followed that up with Jesus' ascension to heaven in verses 9 through 11. Now we're going to pick the conversation up again with verses 21 through 26 of Acts chapter 1. So we're going to, the failure to wait, we're just going to focus on verses 21 through verse 26. I'll just read those real quick. And most of what I think we can glean from this or what I want to bring out from it at this time is more on a personal level. So as we read this, I'd love to hear how this maybe applies or how you think this could apply to us on a personal level. So starting with verse 21, Acts 1, 21 through 26. Therefore, From among the men who have accompanied us during the whole time, the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning with the baptism of John until the day he was taken up from us. From among these, it is necessary that one become a witness with us of his resurrection. So they proposed two, Joseph called Barsabbas, who was also known as Justice and Matthias. Then they prayed, You, Lord, know the hearts of all. Show which of these two you have chosen to take the place in this apostolic service that Judas left to go to his own place. Then they cast lots for them, and the the lot fell to Matthias. So he was numbered with the apostles. So what we have here is the disciples are gathered. They're together here in Jerusalem, and they get this idea. Peter is actually the one bringing this up, I believe. And he tells them that, well, we need to pick another. And he quotes a few scriptures. Um, and then they cast lots. They have these two, uh, Joseph and Matthias. So he was numbered with the apostles, but we never hear about him again. Do you think, what do you make of this experience, Todd? How do we, how should we understand what's going on right here? Well, I, I think what it, I, I th- I'm actually encouraged by it, even though it was, uh, they were going ahead of the Lord on this. Uh, I was actually encouraged by it because they were actually trying to do the work of God. They were actually trying to do, uh, you know, get the, missing disciple replaced, and they were trying to use a method that was tried and true in the tabernacle with the Lord's goat and the scapegoat, where they drew lots to see which uh, goat would would be taken out and which be, would be accepted. And that was so that God could allow, God could make the decision. So I think they were trying to somewhat have God make the decision, but they were forcing his hand in in retrospect. But I don't think they could see that in with foresight. I think they were uh, forcing God's hand, uh, but um, uh, I, I kind of appreciate their desire. Now, the reason why it was wrong is because God is the one that chooses the apostles, and God is the one that calls an individual. And we know this from Jesus's prayer. In, in John chapter 17, verse 6, he says, I thank you for the men that you have given me out of the world. So we see that God is the one that, has, that makes that decision, and uh, he does it in his own time and in his own way. And we can see that if we go to Acts chapter 2, and the church is growing and developing. I know we're fast-forwarding a little bit, but I think this is a, a scripture that's important. It talks about the, the 
group of brethren were all in one accord in, in verse 46, and then it says in 47, praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Now, who added these to the church? Who added the people to the church? It wasn't the apostles. It was the Lord. And that was the point that they didn't conceptualize when they drew lots between Matthias and I believe the other guy, Joseph Barsabbas, I think it was Barnabas. And uh, because Barnabas's real name was Joseph too, and we can see that at the end of, of uh, Acts chapter 4. We'll get there. Yeah, yeah. No, thanks for bringing that out. That's I like what you brought out as well about the appreciating their desire to do the Lord's will. And maybe they were running ahead of God a little bit here. And I think uh, it's it's interesting to consider, you know, who was the actual 12th apostle? It was the apostle Paul. You know, someone that the disciples couldn't, at this point, they couldn't have even dreamed of that. And this is all the key of what they're missing still. They're still missing the Holy Spirit, that guidance and that direction from God, you know, is was really vital to the early church. And they just, they weren't there yet. So... A few things that I thought were interesting or maybe things that we can take away on an individual level here is it's interesting that they chose two, right? They chose two people and they came up with this criteria. Their criteria was in the first few verses. You know, he had to be with us when Jesus was with them from the beginning, from the baptism of John all the way until the day he was taken of us. So they they came up, you know, not bad criteria, it just they don't have a scripture. They don't have uh, anything that they can point to. It's just kind of, it seems like they, Peter sort of picked out this criteria and said, okay, God, this is my expectation. Um, it seems, you know, a good idea that they probably should have been with us the whole time and let's pick two and let's let God decide the rest. So really the choice that they left up to God, they made probably 80, 90% of the choice and they left that last 10% to God. So I think that there's a lesson for us there about leaving things up to the Lord. Do you have any anything to add to that? Uh, I think it was uh, a, because of their fleshly nature that this happened. Uh, but the Lord used it, uh, and the Lord blessed them. He didn't rebuke them for it. He just ignored it. And uh, what happened later was... Uh, that God surprised them with by calling somebody that none of them would ever have thought in a million years they would call. And I think that's a good lesson for us. We are not the ones that call the people in the body of Christ. God does it. And our job is to do what? It's to teach and to baptize. And uh, through the power of the Holy Spirit, it's not our power. We are just the feet members of Jesus, so to speak, at the end of the age. So I think that's waiting upon the Lord. It's uh, something that I, I had to learn the hard way. I'd have made similar mistakes, uh, but um, the Lord overrules things and gives you context. And if you bounce back like a boomerang, uh, the the bounce back effect from failure or from missteps, and Peter was the poster child for that, the, the bounce back from that can be super powerful. Excellent. You know, that brings out a good point as well that thank goodness that we have such a forgiving God. He didn't he didn't rebuke them for this. He just ignored it. Like He's an said. awesome God. He is an awesome God. So that, let's let's take a step into Acts chapter two now. Let's go to scripture our next scripture block. We're gonna look at Acts two verses one through four. So when the day of Pentecost had arrived, they were all together in one place. 
Suddenly, a sound like that of a violent rushing wind came from heaven, and it filled the whole house where they were staying, and tongues like flames of fire that were divided appeared to them and rested on each one of them. Then they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in different languages, as the Spirit gave them ability for speech. So here in these these four verses, we have another piece as I see it, of the narrative for the early church. Not just narrative. This is the formation of the early church's identity, helping them answer the questions, you know, who are we and what are we supposed to be doing now that Jesus is gone? Now that that the wait, that command to wait from chapter 1-4 was over, the disciples had access through the Holy Spirit to things that they could have only dreamed of a mere few days ago. And all that was thanks to the Holy Spirit. But I'm not just talking about those outward gifts of the Spirit that you know we sometimes talk about, but also just knowledge and wisdom and understanding of spiritual things that they couldn't have fathomed beforehand. So now each of these each of these scriptures describe the disciples receiving the Holy Spirit in a dramatic fashion, violent rushing winds and flames, and we'll see here in the next set of verses, that it did have an immediate effect on the disciples, or at least upon Peter. But I have to say that my experience with the Holy Spirit had no such dramatic um, blockbuster effects, and it certainly wasn't immediate as I could feel it. So and I imagine a lot of other Christians, maybe even a lot of other young Christians, have also had a much milder experience with obtaining the Holy Spirit. So first I'd like to ask you, Todd, what was, what's your experience with the Holy Spirit been in your Christian walk? Did uh, did tongues of fire sweep down on you at the moment of your uh, baptism and ignite you, or was it a more gradual coming on? It was a gradual coming on. In fact, I didn't really feel the power of the Holy Spirit until I was in my 30s. Uh, but I, as I felt the power of the Holy Spirit in my 30s, it, it, ha, it came to me, that feeling that, and that understanding came to me through troubles in my life where I had to rely on God. And when I relied on God with the tools that he gave me and with the confidence of the Holy Spirit, uh, his ability to to guide me and answer my prayers, that's when I really felt a more of a settled faith. And now that I'm in my 50s, I have a faith that's settled into my soul, and it's given me perspective. Uh, so I, I, I did not have this same type of experience. I would like you to think of all of the soft tissue things that happened at this event when the fire came down and it was rushing. I mean, it was great for the time because it con- convinced uh, not only the apostles that they were actually accepted, but it, it convinced all of the people that were around them that saw the miraculous works of the apostles. So... I think what some of the soft tissue things that happened here are the same things that we can experience. Number one, it convinces the apostles of their acceptance, and that's what fellowship is for. That's what Christian fellowship is for. Uh, You remember the apostle Paul did this for Timothy, and he says, listen, God has not given you the spirit of fear. And then he reminded him of his gift, and he said, God has given you this power of the spirit of love and power and of a sound mind. So this is the opportunity for fellowship to provide that context and that miraculous event that the apostles had. Now, in addition, um, this was both their begetting of the Holy Spirit and their anointing with the tongues of fire. And uh, it shows that um, uh, they all received the spirit of adoption. It was their transference 
from the house of servants as Jews to the house of sons, but it also seems to indicate that they received gifts according to their character and natural ability. So I think that's something that we participate in too. The gifts has to have to do with our human intelligences, our natural proclivities, our, our abilities, and um, the, what makes us unique, and also what we learn about during our education. And this is how God and the Apostle Paul assures us later about this, that this is how God appoints people in the church to be a, a complete encapsulation that would provide what's necessary to develop people in the good ground of the of the gospel in the church. So fellowship plays a big part. That's one thing I, I heard you just say. And you continue to talk about the church having a part in that. So what do you have any specifics you can offer there? How how can say you you said earlier you're fifty years old. So what do you do to help develop younger members of the church? Oh, I love that question. Thanks for asking. Um, I make sure that I've activated activated my spiritual gifts. So my spiritual gifts include um, p- prophecy, which is instead of predicting the future, it's really about publicly expounding the truth. They include pastoring, they include teaching, uh, they include um, not a miraculous gift of discernment, but being in sales for 30 years, I can tell a lot about people that I talk to. So I just take a um, take an opportunity to mentor young people. I ask them some really great questions. In Jesus's life and also in the Apostle Peter's life, he was able to read their minds. In the case of Ananias and Sapphira, we see that evident with Peter. Uh, but we have a less sophisticated mechanism, and that's the use of a question. So I develop really great questions. What do you want? Where, where do you see yourselves in five years? What are you disappointed with? That kind of stuff. And it gives me interesting opportunity to use my gift of pastoring and teaching so that I can open up the Bible and say, hey, this guy had that same problem, and this is how it was solved. So I think that uh, the the power of the Holy Spirit is given so that the gifts can be activated to grow the the gospel age church and throughout from out from that gospel age church would be the new creation that Jesus is also the master workman to build. And we as other fellow body members have a really important part to play in that. I love what you said there about asking those questions. Ask what are you afraid of or what. Uh, where do you want to be in five years? Those are those are so great. And if you listen to the responses, I think you'll hear from a lot of young people, you know, that they're looking for something. They're looking for meaning and they're trying to find it. So let's as a church, let's make sure we're giving them a place where they can find meaning and relevance in that. And so before we move on from that, though, I wanted to ask you one more follow up question on that. You talked about doing the legwork. You said you didn't really feel the power of your the Holy Spirit until you were in your 30s, until you began to be tested. So that's interesting. I, I feel like I've had the same experience until I really started to have trials. I don't know that I could say that I really felt the Holy Spirit or the guidance of the Holy Spirit in my life. But once I started having those experiences, it was, it did, clarity came. It it was gradual still. It was still gradual, but clarity did come through those experiences. So through application, I guess, of the things that you're learning, I guess, is what I want to say. It's when you have to put the, the, the pedal to the floor. That's when you, that's when you get to find out, you know, where you're at in your spiritual life. But you mentioned legwork. So what do you think, if let's say I'm, 
I'm a teenager or I'm in my 20s, early mid 20s, what what's the legwork that I should be doing to get ready for those, you know, tests of life that are upcoming? Well, I think that's a wonderful question and that's a powerful question that each one of your listeners can use to st- restart their life if they like to, or at least define it for the next five years. Or even what you just said for the next five years, or even if you're older than that, even if you're, yeah. you know, 30, 40, 50, whatever, yeah. what, what's the legwork that you can do to prepare? Well, the first thing is a character. It's a mindset. And uh, remember the scripture in Micah 6, 8, it says, these things, doth the, what doth the Lord require of thee, but that you do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with thy God. I think... Walking humbly with your God is a mindset. It's an attitude. It is looking to God first. And humility is the mother of all virtues. So I think it starts with humility. It also starts with a desire to serve and please God. Uh, and I think that's what that's the advice I would have. And the other, the next thing I would suggest that they do is read the scriptures. Um, the Apostle Paul was always talking about bringing the parchments. Do this. Do that. Uh, to Timothy and some of his disciples. Um, And the Apostle Paul's framework for his life was actually, I think, framed within uh, Deuteronomy chapter 11, all the way back in Deuteronomy chapter 11, because uh, Deuteronomy chapter 11 says something very powerful. It talks about uh, the Word of God as it should be in your life and in your home. And it talks about this word of God that it should be uh, tattooed to your eyelids almost. It it says in verse um, 18 of Deuteronomy 11, Therefore shall ye lay up these words in your heart and in your soul, and bind them for a sign upon your hand, that they may be as frontlets between your eyes. So what do we have here? We have advice for young people. We have advice for old people. And this is where it starts. Once you decide to follow God through the sacrifice of a consecrated life, then what does he do? He asks you to learn about him. He asks you to learn about him, but with the promise to teach you. And that's what the scripture does in verse 18. It says, lay up these, my words, in your heart. That's your feeling in your soul, that's your feeling and thinking, and bind them for a sign upon your hand, that's everything that you do in life, and that they may be as frontlets between your eyes. And then it says, bring them into your home and teach them to your children. So it's not just there to put on your fireplace mantle, it's there to do a job. And this is what I love about the book of Acts, because the book of Acts shows the power of the Holy Spirit as a verb, not as a noun. And a a verb is an active thing that is going to be in your life, and it's going to do the work that God sets it out to do. But if we just think about our knowledge of God's Word as a, uh, a, a nice thing to put on the mantle place in our home and point to it every once in a while, it's not going to help us. So the answer to your question is, study first. Study the Word of God. Become familiar with it. Let it settle into your soul and God will bless it. And he will activate it, just like he did with Moses, uh, on the backside of the desert. And he'll say, okay, now I'm going to put you in play. That's really interesting. So one of the things you said there, um, I love that Deuteronomy eleven eighteen. That's a great scripture to bring out for this. But when you were talking about Micah 6, 8, you talked about asking yourself a question. And that question was, do I want to serve God? That reminds me of a scripture in First John, I think, maybe chapter 4, but it's the scripture that says, 
it might even be verse uh, chapter one, four, verse one, first John four, one, maybe uh, it talks about, we loved God because he loved us first. That's, that's such an interesting thing. You know, when you're talking about reading the scriptures, familiarizing yourself with the scriptures, you're giving yourself into that. You're immersing yourself in that world of God's, God's word that he's set down for us. And that's how you're going to come to an appreciation of that, I think, or at least that was my experience. It was once I started doing that legwork you were talking about, that's when I really started to see some understanding start to unfold me when I started putting in the time. And I, if I remember, I just remember thinking to myself when I was in college, you know, I'm, I'm so busy. Uh, how can I, how can I stay on with all my classes and keep up with work and all this stuff? Well, I decided to spend, I think 10 or 15 minutes every day. That was my starting point, you know, and it waned and it, it waxed and waned over the years in college. But eventually, you know, when I was out of college and I was, you know, settling into a routine, I remember finally being able to sit down and participate in, you know, Bible studies and being able to, to share my opinions and share my, uh, the things that the Holy Spirit has revealed to me about the scriptures and about myself even, um, through, through that legwork. So what I want to say with that is just don't feel like you have to do it all at once. Don't feel like you have to memorize the Bible or something like that. You can start small and build, build with, from that and the Holy Spirit will take that and it will bless that. At least that was my experience. Can I give you an anecdotal story? Absolutely. So I have a friend. Uh, his name is uh, Takeki Ishikawa. He's 85 years old. And in 1945, his father was um, uh, raising them in Tokyo and uh, there was no food around. So he sent his wife and his sons out to uh, the country for food. And uh, it was when the United States of America was firebombing Tokyo. Uh, 16 square mile and um, uh, during one of the raids his father dove into a bomb shelter and um, he was afraid for his life he just made it just in time Uh, narrowly escaped death and he opened up the bible that was in his back pocket and you know what verse he opened it to what verse he opened it to isaiah chapter 41 verse 10 and uh so you talk about small beginnings Wow, that was the smallest of all beginnings. But at least he opened his Bible. And this is what the message that he got from God. He, it says, Isaiah 41.10, Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Wow, that's exactly what he wanted to hear. Uh, Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. Wow, he was living in a pagan culture, and God is speaking to him from the pages of the scriptures. In many ways, our young people are growing up in a pagan culture today. I will strengthen thee, yea, I will help thee, yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. So sometimes all you got to do is open up the Bible. It's nice to have a strategy, to have a study plan, but it's also nice just to listen to the Word of God as He speaks to you. And that's the promise of the Scriptures. And I think that what you just said there fits in really well with the question you talked about, ask, or the question that I heard you asking anyways, was, do I want to serve God? You know, it's an important question to ask, but don't forget to ask it. And think about what your answer is. Think about what what does this world have to offer? And I what does what does God have to offer you? And I think the answer will come pretty clearly from there. So, unless you have any further comments, well, that's on this. why I kind of like Peter. You brought up, you jiggled a thought in my mind. You know, Peter's question was uh, always, was he good enough? In fact, he told Jesus to get away from him because he was a sinful man. 
And uh, I think that one of the destructive influences in our mind is our self-talk, our negative self-talk. So if you think you're not good enough, uh, but you feel the power of God, you feel called of God, you are good enough. And I think that's the message of Peter. I think that's the message of the Apostle Paul, who was Saul of Tarsus, all the nefarious things that he did against the church. And Jesus flipped him into the gospel. So uh, take a look at your talents, take a look at your gifts, and start wherever you want, but start. That's, that's, that's great advice. And that talk, I'm glad you brought Peter back up, because I want to end this by talking about Peter. And in we're going to skip a big chunk of chapter two, but we're going to talk about, let's read, I'm going to read Acts 2.14, and then I'm going to skip ahead and read 37 through verse 40. So here's Acts 2.14. But Peter stood up with the 11, raised his voice and proclaimed to them, men of Judah and all you residents of Jerusalem, let me explain this to you and pay attention to my words. Peter is here addressing the crowds who are now noticing that the Holy Spirit has been bestowed upon the on the disciples. So now let's skip ahead to verse 37, and let's read 37 through 40. When they heard this, they came under deep conviction and said to Peter and the rest of the, the apostles, Brothers, what must we do? Repent, Peter said to them, and be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The prom- for the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. And with many other words, he testified and strongly urged them, saying, Be saved from this corrupt generation." Wow, that last verse there, that's, that sounds an awful lot like it could apply to our common or our current day. So the words, what I want to bring out from these scriptures, this set of scriptures, is I want to contrast Peter. Two different Peters, right? We have the Peter back and uh, recorded in the Gospels who, when in Jesus, when he was confronted in the temple on the night of Jesus, uh, Jesus being being tried, he denied Christ three times, not just once, not just twice, but three times. And that surely had a big impact on Peter. And I think there's a scripture in Matthew that says that he uh, he wailed when he heard the, uh, the rooster crowing. So, but now we see a different Peter. This is a Peter who, after receiving the Holy Spirit, uh, it says he stood up and raised his voice and proclaimed to them in uh, verse 14. And then in at the very end of his sermon there recorded for us in verse 40, he talks about be saved from this corrupt generation. You know, this is a guy, this is not a guy who is unsure about what he believes anymore. This is someone who is confident. He's commanding the attention of the crowd that's gathered around the, uh, the building where they receive the Holy Spirit. So, what do you make of this spiritual transformation? What do you, how do we explain or how do we understand and what can we take away from these two Peters that barely resemble each other? Well, I think the first thing you can take away is that you have Peter plus the Holy Spirit is the new Peter. The old Peter was Peter in his frailty and his brokenness. And now you have a new Peter that is marshaled for the tasks that Jesus gave him. Do you remember the two things that Jesus gave him? He says, I'm going to give you the two keys to the kingdom. Uh, 
And those two keys to the kingdom are beginning to be activated here. This is his first speech in the book of Acts. This is his first speech after receiving the Holy Spirit. And uh, there are 29 total speeches in the book of Acts. I think by Peter, there's probably eight. There's up to eight. I could be wrong with that. But the idea here is now Peter's activated. He is using his gifts. And guess what he's producing in the hearts of the people? He's producing interest. If you the, the scripture that you read in verse 37, now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart. So that's the reason that they were interested in the message of Peter, because they were pricked in their heart. But did you notice the question that they asked? They said, uh, men and men and brethren, what shall we do? Now, did you ever think of why they asked that question? Well, it goes right back to Zechariah 8, verse 16. And this is a surprise when I heard about it. And this is when uh, the prophet Zechariah says, these are the things that ye shall do. Speak to every man the truth to his neighbor. Isn't that what Peter was doing? and execute the judgment of truth and peace in your gates. Now, that's kind of a metaphor. The gates of the city is where the court was handled. That's where the town councils were, the the town meetings. And that's exactly what was happening here in the descent of the Holy Spirit. So the people got the message. They got the message that they were that they were being taught the truth as Peter, their neighbor, and now they were asking Peter what they should do. And Peter delivers the message in verse 38. So I think what you have here is you have a a confident Peter. He's not ambitious because ambitious ambition is kind of something that is determined by your surroundings. And Judas had ambition, but Peter took faith action. And what he was doing here, and we're about to see it in the rest of the book of Acts, is that he was going to begin feeding the sheep. And what does he do? He goes to the temple, he speaks wherever he's at, and people start to listen, and they are pricked in their conscience, they are astonished at his doctrine and his actions, and he's doing the work that Jesus sent him out to do. Now, one more thing. Uh, In the uh, miraculous catch of the 153 fishes, there is a word there where Jesus drew, or uh, the apostle Peter drew the fishes into shore in the net. And uh, that word drew is actually the same word that is in the scripture where Jesus says, if I get um, knocked down, if if I get lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. So now what Jesus was doing there, especially in the miracle of the fishes, was giving Peter the ability or the personal tactile experience with doing the work in the physical world of fishing that he was doing right here. He was drawing in fishes with the net in the physical world at that seashore moment, and now he was drawing in all sorts of fishes in his spiritual net. And I think that's the power of the Holy Spirit as it lives in us. Jesus activates us for the ministry and gives us insights into things that we never could dream about. And that's what was happening in the life of Peter. That is so all of that is just super interesting and just touched off a whole firestorm of thoughts for me. Um, we talked about earlier about legwork. Well, Peter had three and a half years of legwork, right? I mean, before that, he had all of this experience as a fisherman as well, which you were just talking about. So it's really interesting. The Holy Spirit is working with Peter and developing 
in Peter, this new, this new Peter, the Peter that can go before all this crowd and start preaching the gospel. And it used his, his legwork. And, you know, Jesus talked about making them fishers of men. Well, Peter was able to use that legwork that he didn't even know he was doing beforehand when he was being a fisherman. So what I want to take away from that is even even if you're not sure, you know, even if you're worried about, you know, not having done enough or something, trust me, the Holy Spirit will work with whatever experiences you've had, and the Holy Spirit will use those experiences and help make them relevant in whatever way your experiences demand or your experiences deem them to be. So take take some heart in that. If I, I think one more thing that confirms what you just said, Micah, is that Peter first saw Jesus in his heart, and then Jesus taught him the truth. Now, sometimes in case of the Saul of Tarsus, uh, Saul of Tarsus first saw him in his head. Oh, this is the Messiah. And then Jesus was able to flip his heart. And so I think that there are two sides of faith. And uh, not all of us follow Peter's side. Some of us follow Paul's side. And I think that the situation is going to be unique according to your unique abilities and God's desire for you. And you know what? There might be some ideas where God is going to use your vocation to outline your ministry. Absolutely. And the other takeaway from that, you know, you said faith action. That's, that's really interesting. I love that because Peter is now stepping out. He has the strength, the spiritual strength to step out on that. You know, as before, you know, he had this fear of associating with Christ and now he's, he's using that faith and it's turning into an action. He's actually going out there and he's giving that sermon. So this has been, hopefully this has been a really great study for me. I hope um, you feel the same way, Todd, but Thanks for being here with me today. Um, we went over chapters one and two today. Um, for all the listeners, if you have questions about what we're going over, um, something you want us to go further into or a verse we didn't cover that you'd like to hear about, you know, feel free to email me those at hmbiblepodcast at gmail.com. So again, that's hmbiblepodcast at gmail.com. So next uh, next time we're going to be back and Todd will be here with me and we're going we're gonna to go further into another another chunk of the book of Acts. So Todd, any, any closing comments you want to make? Um, yeah, if you don't think you're good enough, that's a great place to start. And uh, that's where Peter started. And uh, Jesus showed him that that was true. That was true, that he wasn't good enough. But I think with Jesus as our advocate, with Jesus providing that ransom sacrifice, opening the way, he provided us to have a, a relationship with the creator of the universe. And the most powerful force in the universe is not two black holes uh, mashing up together. The most powerful force in the universe is the love of God. And that is something that lives in our heart. God bless you. Excellent. Thank you very much for that, Todd. And sorry, just one last thing I'm going to tack onto that is don't use your don't use your standards to judge your worth by, right? That's one of the great things about Christianity and having an identity in Christ is you don't have to have, you don't have to live by your standard. You don't have to live by Todd's standard. You don't have to live by your church's standard. You have to live by the standard of Christ. And that is a wonderful and freeing thing. So I'm sure we'll talk more about that sometime. But Amen. 
thanks for everything, Todd. I appreciate you being here with me today, and uh, we'll be back next time. Thank you, everybody. See you soon. Thanks for listening, everyone. And if you have any comments or questions about today's material, which was Acts chapter 1 or 2, feel free to email me at hmbiblepodcast at gmail.com. And if you'd like the show notes or you want to suggest a topic for an upcoming episode, feel free to contact me with that as well. My hope for sharing this with you is that it will be an encouragement for you to pick up your Bible and look into what the book of Acts or any other book has to offer. So if you like the show, don't forget to subscribe or follow it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever else you may be listening on. So until next time, Lord bless.